Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. We kicked off a series uh, last week called The Dwelling Place, and we're talking about um, the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. I hear an echo. So if we could fix that, that'd be great. We've been talking about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit and what it means to be a people and to be a person of God's presence. Um, I mentioned last week that, um, that I was going to talk about the personality of the Holy Spirit this week. And actually, um, I'm going to table that for a week or two um, because I feel a stirring in my heart to talk about revival. We re- revival is kind of the theme today. And I feel a stirring in my heart to talk about revival. Okay, what is revival? What is it? Why does it matter? Why is it important? Okay, there are pockets of, of um, history and, and periods of time where it's not just a trickle of people coming into God's kingdom, but there are sometimes waves of people coming into God's kingdom. I want to talk a little bit more about what revival looks like and what is it? Why is it important? Um, for some of you, um, when I say the word revival, you're, there's like thoughts of excitement and promise, and even maybe there's a, a sense of nostalgic thoughts that you have when I say the word revival, Okay. Uh, for others of you, you're like, that sounds more like a religious cliche. Like, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. Revival, revival, we need revival. And you're like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. You know, some of you have no idea what we're talking about or, you know, why that's, why that's important. And so the title of our message today is called The Nature of Revival. And uh, it's certainly not going to get, I, I can't teach you everything about revival there is to know. But um, we're, we're going we're gonna to go here this, this week. Um, when I talk to spirit-filled Christians about revival, I have noticed, this is just kind of my own observation, talking to spirit-filled Christians, my observation is this. Um, I'm, I'm 39 years old. I'm going to be 40 this year. And my observation is, when you kind of throw the word revival out there, um, people my age and older tend to be like, yeah, revival. Woo, it's a good thing. And why? Because they've experienced some revivals in their lifetimes, or they've heard about them, and they have been educated about them a little bit. And my experience is when I talk to people my age and younger, sometimes they're like, yeah, what is that? You know, and it almost sounds like this religious cliche that gets thrown around from time to time. Of course, that's a, that's a broad generalization, but that's kind of been um, my experience. And so um, I want to talk about revival today. What is revival? What does it look like? And what will it look like? Now, Greg actually mentioned this a minute ago. Um, what does revival in Greeley look like? We don't really know. You know, I can't necessarily tell you what revival will look like because every revival that has happened has been a little bit different in some ways. Okay? What I can tell you is what revival has looked like. And so from that, we can kind of prepare ourselves and challenge ourselves to be prepared for Revival. I do believe there is a new wave of the Spirit that's going to be coming um, to this nation and in this world. Um, So what does it look like? Um, Also, well, I'll say this. Many times the critics of a current move of God are the ones who, the the greatest critics, many times of of a current move of God, are the ones who experience the last move of God. Because many times they're different. And so they're like, that wasn't like the last move of God. And so God's doing something new, and then they can't identify with it. So what we have to continue to do is be pliable and moldable when God does something new to be ready for what he's, what he's going to do. That rhymed. Okay, cool. So 
New wine, new wineskins is what we want to go for. Okay, what is revival? Uh, I'm not going to give a definition today. Actually, if I could give a definition, I would say uh, Malachi 4. The hearts of fathers turning to to the sons and the sons to the father. Wait, I said that wrong. In the last days, I will send Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the children to the fathers, okay? Generational reconciliation, okay? That is part of revival. Why? Because it takes fathers and mothers to reveal who sons and daughters truly are in the Lord. Coming alive to who you are in Christ Jesus and knowing your identity, that is revival. That is an awakening, right? That is when you give someone CPR. You're, you're reawakening them to who they already were in the first place, Right? You don't give someone CPR and then they're like, wake up a different person, right? With different memories and a different life. Like, you, you revive them. They come back to who they were before. And so revival, um, it's a reawakening to who you already were in the first place, who God created you to be the whole time, okay? But there are these moves of the Spirit that happen. So there are many times it's accompanied by uh, mass repentance and salvation. Many times revival is accompanied by Mass uh, healings and miracles breaking out. Uh, many times revival is accompanied by powerful preaching or wild manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I'll just segue, stop right here and just say, in the revivals of the past, the revivals that have happened, um, sometimes there's weirdness too, okay? It's not all like God. <laughs> sometimes there's some hamburger helper mixed in there, okay? So... <laughs> When I endorse, I'm going to talk about some revivals here today. When I endorse revival, I just want to say, I'm not endorsing everything that happened in that revival, but I am saying this was a genuine move of the Holy Spirit, and some amazing things happened, and there was an awakening that occurred. So one of the reasons why people don't understand revival is because they've never experienced one, or they've never been educated on what revival is. And so I want today to take a few minutes and kind of give you a brief history of four great American revivals. Now... I want to say that I'm going to talk about some American revivals. There are revivals that happen all over the world in different places and are happening right now. But I just want to highlight the importance of some of the greatest revivals that have happened in the United States and how this country is different because of them, okay? So this will be a very brief snapshot of each of these revivals. I've actually in the past done a teaching on each of the, a full message on each of these revivals, but I'm going to just touch on four of them today just to kind of give you a picture of what revival has looked like. Does that sound good? Okay. So the first great revival that happened in America was the Great Awakening. This was in the, uh, the 1700s. Okay. So the earliest account I could find um, is 1720. Um, all the way up to the latest account is about 1770. Um, so this is pre-United um, States. This is pre uh, us being a country. This is when it was just colonies, okay? Um, the Great Awakening in the American colonies was actually part of a larger worldwide revival that was happening in Europe and in England at the time, okay? Now, this is important. You're going to notice a theme for all, every one of these revivals. This is important. Prior to the Great Awakening, Christianity in the colonies was in a major state of decline. It was hurting, major state of decline. Um, there was a pastor in the 1720s, he's, he's recorded as saying this, religion lay as it were dying. Religion lay as it were dying. So Christianity was not like, oh, 1700s, everyone was a Christian. No, like, it was, they were hurting, okay? Christianity was in a major state of decline. And then God raised up these people. 
um, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John and Charles um, Wesley, uh, David Brannard. Okay, uh, Jonathan Edwards, he was like the theologian of the day. George Whitfield was the, a, a powerful traveling evangelist. He's traveled all up and down the colonies, preaching the gospel, held these meetings. Um, John and Charles uh, Wesley, they, um, they founded the Methodist Church that actually started from John and Charles um, Wesley. And actually, um, this building is, um, originally was built by uh, the Nazarene denomination. This building was built by Nazarenes who can trace their roots back to um, John and Charles Wesley. Uh, yeah, so... So Nazarene has their roots in um, John Charles Wesley. Uh, David Brannard was a missionary um, to the Native American Indians. And so these guys and many others were preaching the gospel powerfully. Something I want to say about this is Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, were very Calvinistic in their view and approach of God. In other words, they believed in predestination, that God predetermines, predestinates everyone. And then John and Charles Wesley, the Wesley brothers, they believed in Arminianism, which was more free will. It's our choice. You know, we were presented with the choice, the option. Both of those streams were experiencing amazing revival during the Great Awakening. And that's important because what I want to say about that is that you don't have to have perfect theology to experience revival. And if someone is experiencing revival, it doesn't mean they have perfect theology. Okay? So some of these revivals I'm mentioning, I don't want you to, like, if you, if you go, I mean, go research it. It's fine. These are all awesome. But if you see something like they wrote this and you're like, no, that has to be my theology. No, not necessarily. Okay. <laughs> so um, just because they had a great move, doesn't mean they had perfect theology. And a lot of times they disagreed on things like this. Okay. And so let me just give you the fruit, the fruit of the Great Awakening. These guys preached up and down um, the colonies. One in six Americans got saved during the Great Awakening. One in six Americans during this move of God. Every denomination grew considerably. Missions to Native Americans and Afri African Americans grew considerably during this period. People going into the ministry grew considerably during this period. And one of the, the key markers of the Great Awakening is it brought unity to the American colonies, which is important. Mass unity and what became a huge push for religious freedom in the colonies. What happened right after seven, the 1770s, or during the 1770s? 1776 in particular. <laughs> the American Revolution broke out 1775 to 18, uh, 1783, okay? The Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776. The vast majority of the signers were Christians, okay? There were others, of course, but the vast majority were Christians. There was a major push for religious freedom had it not been for the Great Awakening, um, American independence probably would have been pushed off by decades, if not a whole century. So a fruit from the Great Awakening really was that one of the major keys is that it unified the colonies so much so that they were able to stand up against um, the British Empire that at that time was a, a world empire. And the fact that the United States won that war is actually nothing short of a miracle. That they took on a superpower like that is really nothing short of a miracle. And so we could trace back the very origin of our nation to a revival called the Great Awakening. Pretty awesome, huh? <clears throat> Had it not been for the Great Awakening, who knows? It, it could have been pushed off decades or even a century. 
right after the great, uh, the, the great Awakening and the Revolutionary War, wars tend to be times of spiritual stagnancy, is that a word? And uh, decline. So right after the American Revolution, again, America dropped back into a state of um, decline. Uh, Christianity began to fall into a state of decline once again. Chief Justice John Marshall said this, Christianity in America and the church has fallen too far to ever recover. He said that in the early 1800s. Christianity in America and, and the church has fallen too far to ever recover. They thought, this, it's over. It's over. We, we had the Great Awakening, then we got our independence, but now it's over because Christianity has fallen so far. And again, when it looked like Christianity was over, what happened? Another Great Awakening breaks out became known as the Second Great Awakening in uh, the 1800s, the early, uh, early to mid-1800s, okay? Now, this, this, um, the Second Great Awakening, it's not a very original name, because <laughs> you could have called it something else, you know. Um, the Second Great Awakening, um, something became known as camp meetings, okay? So um, uh, settlers were, were heading west in, in America, and these people lived far from, you know, civilized towns. They were settling. And so life on the frontier, they wanted to reach these people for the gospel. The first problem was that there were not many churches or large buildings to house, to house meetings in. The second problem was that there were fewer pastors than there were church buildings to meet in. And the third problem was that the roads and the transportation were not very good not very good. So they came up with this innovation. The pastors came up with this innovation. We're going to travel to them. We're going to set up these, um, these stages in the wilderness. And people came from miles around to hear the preaching of the gospel. It became known as camp meetings. Okay, so um, day and night, often they would, they would go, one preacher after another, or sometimes even multiple preachers in different parts of the camp happening at the same time. Okay, um, Many denominations were at the same camp, so Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, all at the same camp, all preaching the gospel. At that time, many of them prayed in tongues. We're talking, you know, these guys were all against it today, right? <laughs> and this was prior to the charismatic and Pentecostal outpourings, okay? These people were praying in tongues. It was a move of the Holy Spirit, okay? The most famous, um, the most famous camp meeting was known as the revival at Cane Ridge. This became known as the American Pentecost. So Cane Ridge, Kentucky in 1801, it was the largest camp meeting. There was about 25,000 people that came out to this camp meeting in Kentucky. Now, the population of Kentucky in 1800 was 221,000. So, so basically, like one, out of, uh, one out of nine people in Kentucky came to this one meeting. And there was, okay. So the Cane Ridge Revival is probably known for being one of the wildest as far as um, uh, Holy Spirit manifestations. And it's actually started with one, one girl. There's preaching and there's good things going on, but one girl, the Holy Spirit fell on her, and then it began to spread throughout the camp. And people, there's accounts of people, you know, healings, miracles, the gifts of the Spirit, praying in tongues, that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's accounts of people would, would come um, to the meetings and they would just begin to vibrate. They'd just begin to shake. And people would be falling on the ground, um, which is wild, in the, in the woods, you know, these camp meetings in the woods, just falling on the ground, people laying everywhere. Some people say it looked like, like it was like a battlefield, like people were just slain everywhere, you know. And, so, and actually people would come, sometimes people would come to mock the meeting. And they said the people that came to mock the meeting, they would come like, what is going on here? And then all of a sudden, those people themselves would start to shake. And, and there's accounts of people running 
from the camp meeting because the power of God's falling on them, and then they themselves fall down, or down on the ground for a couple hours, and get up soundly converted as, as Christians. Like, that's a crazy revival. Cain Ridge had wild and crazy manifestations. This is early 1800s in Kentucky. Okay, let's jump ahead again. So that's, that's the uh, Second Great Awakening. Um, let's jump ahead again. We have, of course, the Civil War in the, um, the 1800s. Again, after the Civil War, there was a, a, a period of spiritual decline. And if you jump ahead to 1906, 312 Azusa Street, Los Angeles, there was what's known as the Azusa Street Revival, which is the birthplace of Pentecostalism. Okay, this is the birthplace. Go ahead and, go ahead and put up that picture if you have it. This is where it happened, the birthplace of Pentecostalism. 312 Azusa Street, Los Angeles um, is where it happened. Um, William J. Seymour, um, go ahead and put that next picture up. This is William Seymour. He's an African-American man. He was 36 years old when Azusa began. He was born May 2nd, 1870. He was the son of freed slaves. So his parents were freed um, during the Civil War. He's the son of freed slaves. This man became the leader of one of the greatest moves of God that has ever happened in the world. And it went around the world, actually. The, the Pentecostal movement went completely around the world. Um, let me give you some of the, the fruit of what happened during the outpouring of Azusa Street. Um, many denominations, many churches were formed. The Church of God in Christ was formed in 1907. The Assemblies of God and the United Pentecostal Church were formed in 1914. The Pentecostal Church of God was formed in 1919. And the Foursquare Church, founded by uh, Amy Simple McPherson, was founded in 1923. All of those denominations can trace the roots back to 312 Azusa Street and what happened there. Okay, today there are more than 50 million Pentecostals and charismatic believers around the world. The Pentecostal domination is currently second in size only to the Roman Catholic Church and is the fastest um, growing form of Christianity today. Okay, all that happened from a group of, they were mostly young people actually at the time, African-American leader, which wasn't very popular at the time, right? They came to this building, which was a horse stable. Like they had to clear out horse stuff, you know? to get people in there, and they, had the meet, they held the meetings there. Crazy. It was a rundown building, but the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Um, the Azusa Street Revival was also known for some of the wild manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Of course, there's speaking in tongues, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing, um, those kind of things. But there's even accounts of, like, a glory cloud being in the room. And kids who told their stories way later, like, they'd be underneath the pews, and there would be a cloud in the room, and they said they could, they could literally play with this cloud. It was, a, it was the glory of God in the room. They said you could, you could play with it, you could breathe it in, but you couldn't bottle it. People tried to bottle it and leave, it and, they, and, and, leave and they couldn't leave, take it with them. Like crazy things like the fire department was called because they thought there was fire on the roof. They'd get there, there's no fire. Like just insane manifestations of the Holy Spirit. You can read a book There's called, well, there's a lot out there on it, but there's a book called They Told Their Stories. And these are firsthand accounts of people telling their stories of what happened at Azusa Street. That revival went around the world. And to this day, there are churches in this town, in this city, that can trace the roots back to 312 Azusa Street. I would say this with confidence. There's many of us sitting here today who would not be sitting here today had it not been for what happened at 312 Azusa Street in 1906. It's a powerful revival. Okay? So are revivals important? Yes, they're pretty darn important, okay? 
Jump ahead again to the 1960s. The 1960s was another time of serious moral decline in the United States. The church was in serious trouble in the 1960s. Violent crime, after 1962, violent crime shot up. The number of divorces tripled every year between 1962 and 1981. Before that, they were trending down. Births to single mothers skyrocketed. Teenage uh, suicide rate skyrocketed. SAT scores plummeted from 62 to 80. And STDs skyrocketed. What the heck happened? Well, there are a lot of things that happened. There's a lot of chaos in that era. You know, president was assassinated. There was a lot of despair from that. But in 1962, there was, there was a decision made to take prayer out of public schools. I think that played a major factor in the spiritual condition of the United States. Yes, we have you know, the separation of church and state. I realize that. I realize the benefits and things of that. But prayer was taken out of schools in 1962, and everything plummeted, I believe, as a result of that. Part of the reason. Uh, Time magazine, uh, April 8th, 1966, published a magazine that said this, Is God Dead? 1966. This is how bad it was in America. This is how bad the state of the church and Christianity American was in a terrible state. Is God dead? People thought it was over once again. There was a spiritual void in the West. And young people, you know, um, you know the boomers, they, their parents, of course, were part of the World War II. And their parents were hardworking people. They fought, you know, to keep this country alive. And so they were enjoying prosperity. The World War II generation was enjoying prosperity. They're enjoying having babies. But the generation after that saw the emptiness in the materialism, and they were looking for something else. And so that's where all the hippies came from, right? They were kind of rejecting materialism. And there was a huge spiritual void in the West. And this is where Eastern mysticism rushed in. Hare Krishna, which is a variant of Hinduism, rushed in. Buddhism rushed in to kind of fill that spiritual void. And just when it looked like, again, there was no hope for Christianity and faith in America, the Jesus movement breaks out in the late 60s and 1970s. Five years after Time magazine had asked the question, is God dead in America? They published this, this magazine, June 21st, 1971, The Jesus Revolution. So many hippies were coming to faith in Jesus and following Jesus. This was their hero. Jesus was their hero. They were looking... You know, they were rejecting materialism, but they were looking for their hero, and they found their hero in Jesus. This was a major, major move of the Holy Spirit. And the last people that you would think would be at the, in a revival were right at the center of revival. Hippies coming, coming to faith in Jesus, okay? I asked this last week, but how many were part of that? How many, you put your faith in Jesus during the Jesus movement, 60s and 70s? Yeah? Come on. Come on, you guys. That's awesome. Okay. <clears throat> No one wants to admit they're that old or something. I don't know. So hippies came to the Jesus in droves. The last people that you would think would be part of a a revival were right at the center of revival. Um, Its origins are actually a little hard to define because unlike other revivals, it didn't start in one church. It certainly started on the West Coast of the United States, but no one can trace its roots back to a specific church building or a specific leader. It was more like an outbreak of random Holy Spirit activity happening everywhere. It wasn't really a question of where is it, it's where it wasn't. Okay, it was happening all over the place. So no prominent denomination seemed to have started it. No, No specific leader or leaders seemed to have started it. 
and no specific place, church, uh, building seemed to have had the origin for the Jesus movement. <clears throat> now, later, there were leaders that stepped up after the fact, like um, John Wimber, who's the leader of the Vineyard Movement. So Vineyard Churches, you have the Jesus Movement to thank for, um, for your denomination. John Wimber stepped up. Pat Robinson, um, who's the leader of the 700 Club, he was a leader in the movement. Oral Roberts stepped up. He was a leader in that movement. But this was kind of after the ball was already rolling. So the Jesus Movement and the Charismatic Renewal seemed to just kind of be a random act of Holy Spirit activity breaking out all over the world. Um, it was popping up everywhere all at once. Every denomination rejected it. Like, there wasn't one denomination that rejected it. And some churches would, like, let them, okay, you can have that back room or that basement room. You can meet there. Sure, fine. But hippies were coming to church with, you know, no shoes on, and they didn't smell good. And these uptight, you know, Pentecostals and those kind of people at the time were like, get them out of here. I remember actually talking to, to Pastor John Stalker, and this is why he got fired from his job. He was a, he was a, he was a, pa- a youth pastor. These hippies were coming to church, and he was letting them come. And, his, and the leaders, um, maybe he was the senior pastor, I don't remember. The leaders, or the deacons, overseers, whatever, they're like, you can get, those, get those hippies out of here. Get those people out of here. And he's like, I'm not telling them to leave. If you want them to leave, you tell them to leave. He ended up losing his job over it, okay, because he welcomed these hippies, as did John Wimber, and as some of these other leaders welcomed these hippies in the church and began to disciple them, began to teach them, you know, help them put some deodorant on, right, you know, <laughs> stop being promiscuous, that kind of stuff. Okay, may, so they needed discipleship, right? And listen, I, let me just say this. If God breaks out in our community and we have rough people coming in here, we could get, you know, we get uncomfortable about someone sat in my seat or whatever, or they're still messed up and they got all kinds of sin going on in their life, or we could just hunker down, us. Let's disciple these people, right? I want to, see, come on, uh, come on. We want to disciple these people. So I believe there's another wave. There's another move of the Spirit coming. Okay, I want to do some honorable mentions. These weren't, these weren't like major moves of God around the world, but I want to do some honorable mentions here. <laughs> okay, other moves of God that happened in America. Well, first of all, the Welsh Revival, 1904 to 1905. This is a precursor to Azusa. Um, the healing revivals of the late 40s and 50s. This became known as the Latter-day Reign. So leaders like Oral Roberts, Jack Coe, A.A. Allen, T.L. Osborne would get tents, and they would travel across the country with their tents. They all had big tents, and they were doing um, healing meetings. So um, during that time, um, yeah, massive healing meetings. This is where kind of like um, healing became a regular thing in the church, in Pentecostalism. Um, 1994, the Toronto Blessing happened. Uh, John and Carol are not. Is there anyone here that... You went up there or you received from, yeah, come on, from John and Carol or not. Yeah, major, major revival happening up there in, in uh, the, the Toronto Blessing. Uh, Brownsville Revival, 1995. This is Pensacola, Florida. Did anyone go down there or, yeah, come on, went down to uh, Pensacola, Florida or, or watched it or viewed it online. Another one, uh, 2008, the Lakeland Revival in Lakeland, Florida. How many were, did you went there or watched it on God TV? Come on. I received from that, definitely. There was some amazing things happening. Um, for those of you that uh, appreciate, like, Bethel Church in Redding, California, you have the Toronto Blessing and John Wimber from the Jesus Movement to thank for that influence. They influenced Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin, Danny Silk. So those, those leaders were influenced by other leaders. Okay, what's my point? 
Well, that's my point. Um, let me turn the page and see what my point is now. <clears throat> my point is this. Almost every denomination in America can trace its roots back to one of these revivals that I've just mentioned. Many of us, even if you weren't part of revival and you gave your life to Jesus, you might not think, oh, what's revival? Do we really need, you know, you might not have been part of revival. You were probably led to Jesus by someone who was in a revival or, or that person was led to Jesus by someone who was in a revival, okay? So even if you were directly influenced by them, we have these revivals to think. We have these moves of the Spirit to think, which is one of the reasons why I believe we need a fresh move of the Spirit so much in this nation, okay? <clears throat> okay. I'll kind of give you the seed thought to why I wanted to preach this and then some closing ideas here. All right. The seed thought I had for this message was this. Um, this is going to sound stupid at first to a lot of you. Um, how many of you have ever heard of Bob Jones? Bob Jones um, was not just a guy with a prophetic gift. Bob Jones held the office of a prophet, for sure. Weird as heck, no doubt about that. The guy was weird, and everyone will say that about him. But the guy, and a lot of prophets are, so let's just face it, okay? Weird guy. Um, he was born in 1930. He didn't get saved for a long time, um, I think in the 70s, he got saved and, and started hearing from the Lord. Um, he died uh, uh, 2014 on Valentine's Day, so February 14th, um, 2014. Um, Bob Jones was a legit prophet of the Lord. He didn't just have the gift of prophecy. He held the office of a prophet. He prophesied things like um, the fall of the Berlin Wall. He said, he said God's going to knock the wind out of communism, and the, the Berlin Wall fell like soon after that. He prophesied about presidents that became presidents, one of the, this is kind of, again, when you're prophetic, sometimes the, the language is kind of funny. God gives things in like riddles sometimes and, and, and different things. But the word was this. He said, um, the quail will hide behind the bush. And people are like, now H.W. Bush, um, George H.W. Bush became president. Um, he, he prophesied he'd become president, but he said the quail will hide behind the bush. No one knew who um, Bush's running mate was going to be. And when he announced his running mate, Dan Quayle, people were like, who? Dan Quayle? No one really knew who Dan Quayle was. And, and Bush, of course, stuck his shoulders out and like, no, this guy's with me. He's a patriot. He's going to be a good vice president. Okay. So the quail hid behind the bush. So there's this kind of strange language. But Bob, <clears throat> Bob prophesied like earthquakes that have happened or, or to confirm things. Like he was, he was uh, giving a prophetic word to Mike Bickle. And he said, God's going to confirm everything I'm saying to you with a comet. A comet. So there was a comet that went across the sky the day he said it would come across the sky, and no one saw it coming, like no scientist. And in the paper, it was like, mystery comet that scientists missed came across the sky. Like the guy prophesied crazy things, so crazy accuracy, okay? I say that to say this. Um, there's a future prophecy that Bob Jones had prophesied, and not just Bob Jones, but many others. But there's a, there's a prophecy that many have talked about called the billion soul harvest, Bob talked about a billion soul youth harvest that's going to come in the last days. And I believe in that. I believe that there is going to be a billion soul harvest of youth that will come into the kingdom sometime in the last days before Jesus returns. Okay. So recently, to Bryson's demise and Rick's, 
Recently, he had a prophecy before he died, um, which, uh, before I give it, I want to say it's, it has to do with the Kansas City Chiefs, okay? Before I give it, I want to say it really has nothing to do with football. It has, I don't believe God is more pro one football team over another. But he will use things to confirm what he's doing in the world, okay? And so he can and does use signs. Um, but this was, uh, Sean Bowles posted this. Go ahead and put up that, that picture. Sean Bowles, this is Bob Jones. Sean Bowles posted this. He said, Bob Jones had heard from God that the Chiefs would go to the Super Bowl and win it. He shared that when they won it, it would be a sign of an end-time revival, of an upcoming end-time revival that was, that was to come soon. Okay, I don't know if this is a word. I don't know if this is, the Bible says, um, well, here I'll, the Bible says to test the words of prophecy, okay? I don't know if this is that. Maybe the Chiefs will win in 10 years and then revival will break out. But my, but my antennas are up right now. Okay, my antennas are up. Um, Bob was certainly not infallible by any means. Okay, we would never raise like a prophecy like that above the scripture. Of course, scripture is, is our authority, right? We'd never raise any, any prophecy that anyone has above scripture. But given Bob's track record, even though he's dead, I think it's worth listening to. It's worth thinking about. And so the Bible says to test words of prophecy. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.20, it says this. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them, on, test them all. Hold on to what is good. So I, I want to test this word. And we brought it in our, to our staff meeting. Actually, it was Rick, who's a total Niners fan, by the way. <laughs> Did not want the Chiefs to win. You could tell he's so conflicted, you know. <laughs> the spirit, the war of the spirit versus the flesh. Yeah. So, yeah. So he actually brought it up to us first that the, the Bob Jones that had this prophecy. He was so torn. But um, I brought it into our staff meeting. I'm like, let's talk about this word. What do you guys think? And some people were like, awesome. Some were like, this is so stupid, you know. Um, but could it be a sign? Could it be a sign of an end time harvest? I don't know. We want to test that word. We're going to pray. We're going to watch. And we're going to wait and see. And it, Regardless, I do believe revival is coming at some point. Here's what I want us to be. I want us to be ready. I want us to be ready to, if there's a wave of the Spirit coming, I want to be ready to catch that wave and ride it. And listen, and we are going to ride that as far as that thing will take us, okay? If it takes us one year, we're going to ride it a year. If it takes us 10 years, we're riding that sucker until till it's gone, okay? And so I want a church. I was thinking about this. I want a church that can do two things. I want a church that can both catch a wave and make a wave. Okay? I want a church that can catch a wave. and make, We need to be ready to catch a move of the Spirit if and when it happens. But one of the dangers I've seen is this. Sometimes people who've experienced revival won't do anything in the meantime. They just kind of sit and wait, right? They don't act unless they feel a tingly or something. You know what I mean? Listen, some of the greatest breakthroughs in, in prayer that I've seen is when I felt nothing. Like, someone's like, can you pray for them? I'm like, sure. I feel nothing in my heart. You know, <laughs> pray for them. <clears throat> you know what I mean? And God, God, well, it's not about me, right? Sometimes, you know, sometimes you feel the anointing and you feel like this passion and this prayer, you know, it's anointed prayer. Other times it's like, yeah, I'll pray for you and you just pray. And then God will do something amazing, okay? We don't necessarily need to wait for a big wave to come. But if it does, we're getting on that sucker, okay? So, um, what I want to say about this, I want a church that both can catch a wave, but know that they can make a wave. I said this at the beginning. Revival is really an awakening to who you already are. 
okay? You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And it takes fathers and mothers to show sons and daughters who they are in the Lord. And God wants to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. That's part of why that, that generational reconciliation is so important. We need the older generation, you need the young people. Young people, you need the older generation, okay? And so, what do I want to do here? Why don't you guys stand on your feet? I want to have, if you're here, people want to come up and play music. That would be awesome. <clears throat> the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27, isn't necessarily a future event. The hope of glory is Christ in you. So you already have it. Okay. I would rather raise up a church of individuals who know who they are in God and will go out today and pray for people and minister to people and lead them to Jesus than people who are like just waiting for the next big thing. Having said that, if the next big thing comes, we're getting on it, okay? And so we need a move of the Spirit, but we need to know our identity in Christ Jesus and who we are, that you're loaded like today, here and now, okay? Um, this is what I want to do. Um, if you're... If you were part of any of these revivals, the healing revivals of the 40s and 50s, the Latter-day Latter -day Rain revival, the Toronto Blessing, the Brownsville revival, the Lakeland revival, I want to have you, why don't you come up and let's form like a tunnel. And I would just say this, if you're a 60-pluster in this room, we actually really felt like we wanted to do this the other day in our staffing. Yeah, form a face each other. And if you're also a 60-pluster, we want to honestly honor, honor you. And we believe that the younger generation has something that you need. Okay? And this is part of, part of revival. Is, 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 yeah, you guys got this. Form a, form a tunnel. Form a tunnel. There you go. Face each other. Yeah. So if you're part of any of those revivals I mentioned, or the Jesus movement, of, of course, um, form a tunnel. And we... I believe there's going to be, the Bible talks about stirring up the gift of God, fanning into flame the gift of God. And so we believe in impartation. One thing that, um, one thing that Bill Johnson would say is that they, they believed in miracles. They believed in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They weren't seeing any. They had like none. They went down to, um, I believe it was uh, Southern California, to um, um, the Vineyard Movement. What's the guy's name? Um, Wimber, John Wimber, they went down to Wimber's church and received an impartation. They went back up to Northern California and immediately miracles started breaking out. So there's something about impartation. There's something about receiving from people who have experienced it. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.